Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. It sure is good to not be sweating or shivering, but to be uh, rather comfortable in here. I want you to know right up front, even though I can't see your mouths, I can see your eyes. So if they close and you fall asleep, I will know, even though you have a mask on. Hey, I do have an announcement for you, and that is we're going to have something early December that we're calling Lights Along the Lane. And we thought that this year, since we've been locked up for the last few months, we're going to do something in our parking lot that you're going to hear a lot more about the next few weeks. But right now, you need to mark your calendars for either December 11 or December 12. A lot more details will be forthcoming, but you will not want to miss that. So if you can be available one of those two nights, that would be great. It'll be a drive through event. You need to make sure that you can be there. Well, this morning, we're going to conclude our Be the Countercultural Church. And one of the things that we've done the last few weeks is we've been looking at one verse. Actually, we've been exploring what the Bible says about that one verse at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul there writes, we are to live with faith, hope, and love. And if you think about it, those three qualities, those three characteristics are the most countercultural things that we can live as individuals and as the church. We have faith, we love people, and we live with hope. And therefore, those are the most countercultural principles or qualities that we need to be exhibiting, experiencing, and then extending. And if you think about it, we're people that love to measure things, right? For example, 22 to 21. Remember that from Thursday night? The Eagles score, right? The Giants got beat. That was a tough night, but yeah, we're going to measure Halloween. I know some neighborhoods, you can have Halloween. We're having the uh, candy jam here that you can come. And I don't know about you, I don't measure how much candy the kids or grandkids get. I measure the quality of the candy, right? I measure whether it's stuff I don't like or Reese cups and Butterfingers. And so it doesn't matter how much, it matters how many of the quality items they have. We love to measure things, but isn't it fascinating and somewhat sad to think that what Paul tells us to measure and what God calls us to measure, faith, hope, and love, are the qualities that we often don't measure. We want to measure details and external things. Paul says, no, the measure needs to be faith, hope, and love. Well, we're going to explore those things today. And we're going to explore them. We're going to uh, try to explain them by looking at another passage where the three things come up. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm just going to read three verses, and we're going to play with them a little bit, and then we're going to jump to another passages that will help us explore our main topic for this morning. So as I said, Paul loves those three things. They're all over the place. It's not some incidental little measurement tucked away in 1 Corinthians. Those three qualities, faith, hope, and love, are all over Paul's letters, all over the Bible. And so here's another place where they're mentioned with a little more explanation. So here's what Paul writes, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Notice, faith, hope, and love again. The order's a little different. But what Paul does in Colossians is he adds an explanatory phrase to each of the qualities. 
So what does he say? He doesn't just say, oh, you need that faith. It's not faith in faith. You need to believe in anything. No, it's faith in Christ Jesus. It's the object of our faith that gives the faith value. You know, we live in a world in which people say, well, you just need that faith. You need to trust. You need to live in belief. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe a lot. No, the Bible says repeatedly, it's the object of your faith that brings value and weight to your faith. And so Paul says in Colossians 1, it's not just any kind of faith. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in, you know, the big man upstairs. It's not faith that everything's going to work out right. It's faith in Christ Jesus. It's faith in Jesus that makes the difference. He also says, we're to have love for all God's people. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about love? And we have defined love, or we tried to explain what Paul says a little earlier in 1 Corinthians. He says, love is patient, love is kind. And I use them two synonyms for those. Here's what I said. Love is relaxed. It's patient. You know, when we relax and we're not worried about the next thing, we can actually be present in this thing. Love is relaxed. You know, read through the Gospels. You never see Jesus in a hurry. You never see Jesus blowing off people to be with the next event. He always is present. He's relaxed. He also is kind, and we use the word beneficial. Rather than seeking to only benefit ourselves, which comes naturally, that's kind of the natural reaction, love seeks to benefit others. Love puts stock in seeking to do for others rather than have done for us, right? Love is beneficial, and love is relaxed. Love for all God's people. Have you noticed them? We're a little divided these days. How are we doing with these qualities? Faith in Christ Jesus and love for some of God's people. Is that what Paul says? Love for the other Democrats. Love for the Republicans. Love for the mask wearers. Love for the non... No, no, no. We divide over everything. But what does Paul say? Love for all God's people. And notice how when he says this in the paragraph, everybody is learning that we're followers of Jesus. Everybody knows that the gospel has taken root in our lives because we have faith in Christ Jesus. Interestingly, faith is always the first in the list. Sometimes hope comes next. Sometimes love comes next. Faith always goes first. Faith is kind of like the entryway. Faith is the doorway in. Faith in Christ Jesus. But faith in Christ Jesus then follows up with love for all God's people. And, you know, we need to be relaxed, present, and benefiting others, all God's people. And then the last one, he says, hope. But it's not just any kind of hope. It's the hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, remember, I defined hope with three different points a number of times, and I said this, hope always begins with imagination. Hope pictures the preferred future, Hope then desires that preferred future, and then hope trusts that it's actually going to happen. And so love imagines the preferred future, love desires that preferred future, and then love trusts that that future is going to come about. And I've said repeatedly, and we need to remember again, Christian hope is bringing our imagination, our desire, and our faith, trust, in line with what God says. It's not imagining whatever you want. It's not desiring whatever you think is best. It's not trusting your plan to come to fruition. No, it's imagination, desire, 
and trust for what God has planned and what God wants. That's biblical Christian hope. So that's kind of the, uh, a little bit of the explanation of how this works together. But did you notice something really strange in Colossians 1? Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love is the most important, right? Now remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And we said that's probably because love is a characteristic of God, right? And love goes on forever and ever and ever. Hope will one day be fulfilled. You no longer have to live with faith because you're going to have sight. But love goes on and on and on. But in Colossians, it says, these three, right, faith, hope, and love, but the order's different. We have faith in Christ Jesus. We love all God's people, but the foundation, the soil that faith and love are growing out of is hope. Did you see that? Here's how he says it. Faith and love that spring from hope stored up for you in heaven. How does that work? Well, if we keep the end in view, it gives meaning and motivation in the present. That's what the prophets are always doing in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is always doing. Keep the end in view. Where are we headed? What's the ultimate eternal destination? If we keep that in mind, everything else kind of snaps into perspective. So how are you doing with that? Are hope stored up for us in heaven? You know, rather than uh, putting your hope in anything that's fleeting, anything that's temporal, no, our hope is to be in the treasure, in the and the situation that Jesus purchased in heaven for us. Now, uh, in case you haven't realized this, I've been thinking a whole lot of uh, end times, uh, second coming stuff, afterlife. And let me uh, explain to you one more reason. Last Sunday, we talked, about the, uh, we talked about the second coming, the blessed hope, right? And then this past week, I sat down with Logan Schellenberger, uh, the students pastor from Quakertown, and we did a video. The students, it seemed, had a whole bunch of questions about the afterlife, and for some reason, they thought Logan should ask me the questions, and we videoed it. Uh, it it'll be posted sometime soon, and if you want to check it out, you can go on the website and see it. I don't know why they wanted to talk to me about the afterlife. I said, uh, Logan, it's going to be pretty short. I never died, and so it's going to be... Uh, but I said, but the Bible does have a whole lot to say about the afterlife, and so uh, we wrestled with questions of reincarnation and what's heaven going to be like. And eventually during the interview, I said, you know what? Bible uses lots of pictures. Bible uses lots of figures of speech trying to describe this eternal destiny. And for this morning, I kept thinking, do I want to read you know, Revelation 21? And you should check that out if you want to check it out. Revelation 21 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. It talks about the gates of pearl. It talks about the streets of gold. It talks about the bride in the city, all those figures that we're familiar with. But that's not the passage I read in the, in the video. I said, you know what? Let me read another video that actually, or let me read another passage. I'm not reading a video. Let me, let me read another passage that actually gets to some of the question and some of the issue that maybe we face in our day and shows us how we need to be countercultural. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to read a parable Jesus told that answers word on the street. And so you and I hear word on the street stuff all the time about the afterlife, about heaven, hell. This parable answers a whole bunch of that stuff. And Jesus is a really good authority to answer it because after all, he's God. He created all that stuff. He died and came back to tell us what it's like. So if you want to know who the authority is on the afterlife and what it's like, Jesus is the guy. 
Follow along as I read, and then we'll look at a few uh, things he um, contrasts concerning afterlife. So beginning of verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? In other words, only a few people are going to go to heaven? Only a few people are going you know, north when they die? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate with you. We taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. So again, when Jesus is talking about the afterlife, talking about that eternal state afterward, he resorts to figures of speech again, right? It's almost as if you know, our little minds can't comprehend all that it's going to be. And what's the picture? The picture he uses is of a giant house party. It's a giant party in somebody's house. And he says, notice how the picture works. It's a joyful, celebrative, exciting party. Everybody wants to be there, but not everybody's going to be there. Now, this parable answers a few word on the street kind of concerns that I often hear. Here's one. Word on the street is that when we die, we float around like chubby little cherubs on clouds, strumming a harp or a lyre, whatever the thing is, right? Just kind of floating, bored to death or bored to, you can't be bored to death, bored to tears forever. Uh, You probably heard me say this before. I remember once somebody saying to me, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be like an eternal church service. I said, oh my goodness, that, that's a better description of hell, I think, than a picture of heaven. Uh, so yeah, we're in, the future state is not chubby little cherubs floating on a cloud without a body. Strum- no, no, no. What does the parable say? Jesus says, it's a physical place. It's a house. It's a party. There are people that are there. Read Revelation 21. It's a city. There's a feast going on. People are eating. When Jesus had a resurrected body, he ate. He was with the disciples. It's not floating around without somebody. No, it's never just heaven. It's always new heaven and new earth. The physical reunited with the soul, with the spirit forever. Word on the street is wrong. Word from the Savior's right. It's a celebration. It's like a giant house party. And you want to be there. The second part of word on the street is, most people make it. Isn't that right? I mean, if you were to interview, if people are going to be really honest and you were to say, let's ask the question they ask Jesus. Say, how many people are going to make it? Here's what most people think. And there may be a few people that don't make it. You know, child molesters, murderers, you know, Hitler and his gang. But some people, but most people make it. We're on the streets wrong. What picture does Jesus use? It's a narrow door into the party. 
that doesn't mean that they just didn't have enough building materials to put a giant frame in. No, no, no. It's a narrow door. The path is broad that leads to the outside, only a narrow door into the party. And here's kind of a corollary of that. Fewer than you anticipate and some that you don't expect. Who gets in at the end? People from the north and the south. Who are those people? The Gentiles get in. People that you never expected are in the party. And obviously the people that want to get in, they're Jewish folks, Jesus. And they're thinking, wait a minute. We went to church all the time. We attended the outdoor services when we weren't going in. You know, we're, we're volunteering to be, you know, to work in children's ministry. When they reopen in a few weeks, we did all these wonderful things. And Jesus says, no, fewer than you anticipate and some you would never expect. Word on the street is wrong. Word of the Savior is fewer than you think. Many you don't expect. Into the party, into the celebration with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and other people celebrating, enjoying a joyful celebration forever and ever. But maybe the biggest problem with word on the street Merit gets you in. Isn't that right? I mean, if you were to interview uh, most people and you were to ask them a couple questions, you can immediately figure out what their strategy is and how they think you gain entrance to the party. Here's how it goes. Um, so when you die, you think you're going uh, north or south? Are you going to make it into the party or not? Are you going to make it to heaven? Or immediately say, well, yeah, I, I think I want to, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I think I want to make it to ha- heaven because, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Well, how about Mary or Bob or Bill? Yeah, and I, I think that they're going to make because they're pretty good people, right? No, no, no. Jesus says, it's not merit. It's not our performance. Notice the people that aren't getting in are the people that expected to get into the party, but they're not getting in. And the people that you never expected to get in, they get in. Therefore, it can't be merit. It's got to be mercy. It's got to be grace. If the Gentiles get in and those that are more moral don't get in, if those that are trying to perform well don't get in, but those that know they're kind of living off the rails and know that they're living outside of God's um, lines, if they can get in, there must be a forgiveness plan that's based on grace and mercy that's not based on my performance and my merit. Word on the street? Chubby little cherubs floating on a cloud. No, 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 no. A physical place, a new heaven, a new earth. It's like a party with real people and there's feasting going on and you spend time with people enjoying forever and ever. Word on the street is wrong. Word from the Savior. He corrects it. Word on the street is, well, most people make it. Word from the Savior It's a narrow door. And some you would never expect are going to be at the party. Word on the street, live well. As long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you're golden. No, it doesn't work like that. It's not merit or performance. It's mercy and grace that Jesus purchased. Remember, faith in Christ Jesus, love for all God's people, and hope for this future. And Paul says it's hope for this future, this ongoing eternal celebration. And part. That hope becomes the soil 
out of which our faith and hope grow. And as we experience it, it kind of bubbles up and overflows and others are infected by it. You know, we can understand uh, how that works, probably even better than people in Paul's day. We know about super spreaders. We know about watching YouTube videos of how the virus spreads, like somebody coughs or sneezes over here, you know, kind of billows over the barriers, the droplets stay in the air forever. You know what I think the point of faith, hope, and love is? We, need, we all need to be super spreaders, not of coronavirus. Super spreaders of faith, hope, and love. Now, in order to be super spreaders of faith, hope, and love, in order to be agents of faith, hope, and love, we need to have experienced those things as we have this hope in heaven that, Pete, that Jesus purchased. We're living by faith in what he did, not in what we do. And we're loving by being relaxed and we're loving by seeking to benefit people. We can be agents of those things and it should be known. Notice in Colossians, Paul writes and says, I'm in prison and I heard about your faith, hope, and love. Paul didn't start the church in Colossae. Paul never visited the church in Colossae, but he's hearing about their faith, hope, and love when he's in prison. They're super spreaders. They're spreading faith, hope, and love. Isn't that a pretty good plan for us? Let's be agents of faith, hope, and love. Not agents of ego and division and strife and quarreling and bickering. And Let's be countercultural super spreaders of faith, hope, and love. I was thinking about that. I was in the kitchen the other day, and I was pouring myself a, a seltzer. I was going back in to watch a football game. We're not going to talk about that Penn State game either. I, Franklin should be fired today. That's what I am sorry. <laughs> so, but I don't want to have to come back out and get more, so I thought I would Fill that thing all the way to... You, you ever try to fill a glass so high you can actually see it crown the glass? Ever do that? I try that this afternoon. Your, your wife will appreciate that. Uh, so I'm pouring... And, and it actually crowned, right? I, so the top of my glass and a little bit of crown of liquid over top of it. And I'm thinking, all right. Oh, but then I realized I have to walk to the living room with this thing, right? And uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I don't want to spill it. And I don't want to drink it yet, because I. Uh, so I'm making my way. And all of a sudden, I bump into the counter, and it kind of spilled, and I had to clean up before Kim got home. Uh, you know, whatever's inside of you is coming out. When people bump into you, when you bump into someone else, when somebody irritates you, somebody discourages you, somebody wrongs you in some way, or somebody does good for you in some way, whatever's inside of you is coming out. Just like when you fill that glass and you crown the top, whatever's inside is coming out. And whatever's inside of you is coming out. So this test is actually fairly easy. When you get bumped, when you get jostled, when you get irritated, when people wrong you, when you get jostled, bumped in some way, what comes out of you? I'd be willing to bet it's often not faith, hope, and love. It's probably some other things. Whatever's inside is coming out. Let's follow Paul's advice. Let's make sure 
as we seek to be agents of faith, hope, and love, let, let's make sure. No better time than today. Our first day back from, from the past few months, here we are again. Let's make sure our first day back that you got the right stuff on the inside. So that then when we get bumped and jostled into the future, whatever, and you will be bumped and jostled. I don't know how, but you will be. Let's make sure you got the right stuff on the inside. So when we get bumped, the right stuff spills out rather than a whole bunch of bad stuff. Do you find your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning? Not faith in faith, not hope in hope, faith in Jesus Christ. That means you acknowledge that you don't deserve any favors or acceptance from God, but because of what Jesus has done, you identify with him, and everything you have is because of him. Faith in Christ Jesus. How are you doing with loving all God's people, even those of the other political party, even those that like or don't like masks, even those that think we should be back in school full-time or not? How are you doing loving all God's people, those who had different perspectives on race and how we should respond. How are you doing loving all God's people? A very practical test, right? You want to measure some stuff? Rather than measuring how often you come to church, how long you spend in prayer, how much you read the Bible, all those things are good. How about we start measuring faith, hope, and love? They're the measures God gives. How are you doing loving all God's people? And is your hope not in floating around like a chubby little cherub, Hope not that you somehow have done enough or you can buy your own way in. But your hope is in an eternal future that Jesus purchased, a physical place in the new heaven and new earth, not because of our merit, but because of his mercy. If you haven't transacted that deal, I can't think of a better time to make sure that that's done than this morning. Because we're entering a season, I'm guessing, where there's going to be some bumps and bruises. I, I, I said to the worship people as we were leaving this morning, did you check out the date today? Check out the date? It's October 25. That means two months from today, it's Christmas. We're going to have a few bumps and jostles between now and then. Whatever's inside is coming out. Let's make sure we have the right stuff on the inside. We're experiencing faith, hope, and love. And then we're extending as we're super spreading faith, hope, and love in Jesus and him alone. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the regular reminders that we find in Scripture to examine ourselves. You know, so often we want to read the Bible and use it as a gauge to measure other people. Well, you don't give us enough data to measure other people. You give us plenty of data to measure ourselves. And so, Lord, as we're thinking about Calvary Church being an awesome agent, a super spreader of faith, hope, and love, that really comes down to each one of us being agents of faith, hope, and love. And that begins with each one of us having our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That means that we're experiencing his love just as he was long-suffering and patient, relaxed with us, and lived and died for our benefit. Help us then to live that out. And Lord, may our hope, our ultimate hope, the thing that drives us and roots the qualities that we're exhibiting and the fruit we're putting into the world, 
May our hope not be in our political party, in the educational system, in what's going to happen financially in the market, or redistributing income, or what's happening tomorrow, what's in our retirement account or bank account. Help our hope to be what's stored for us in heaven. Not because of merit, because of mercy. May we experience those attributes and become super spreading agents of faith, hope, and love as we extend what you've done for us into the world around us. We pray in Christ's name.